All right, we failed to mention it before, but if you have a kid, kindergarten and down, you would like for them to participate in our children's programming right now. That is available. Kids are welcome in this space. Maybe you already left and you got out of here. If you were waiting on the queue, here is your queue. Go, 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 Sakonis, go! <laughs> See, they're just more patient and like, like listen, like everybody else just left, aren't they? It's a good family right there. All right, let's go to Psalm 98. Psalm 98. If you uh, don't have a Bible, we will have the text up on the screens behind me in just a little bit. Uh, we also have some physical Bibles scattered around the room, little racks beneath the seats. If you don't own a Bible of your very own, don't have one that you can call yours, uh, take that physical one home. Uh, the reason for that is incredibly simple. We say it every week, but we say it every week for a very, very clear reason. We want to drill it all the way down deep into you. Right? We believe that God uses his word, the scriptures, for all kinds of really wonderful, important things. But chief among those important things is that he uses it to reveal himself to his people. Like, like, we want you to know God, like actually know him, live in relationship with him, uh, see the world and yourself and everything you do through the lens of that relationship with him. And if the scriptures are what he uses to do that in your heart and life, like, like it's just common sense. It's just a logic problem. Like, go pressing into the scriptures and he's going to use it in a special way that only he can. So if you don't have a Bible of your own, take that one. Uh, we'll call it a good day. Uh, so guys, it's finally here. I don't know if you noticed. It's Christmas. Woo! Yeah! The older I get, the less I yeah. All right. So has this Christmas been everything you hoped it would be so far? Um, just like the Christmas special that you watched on TV this week, promise you it would be. Um, I, I know that... I know that Christmas falling on a Sunday this year messed with a lot of our normal traditions. Everybody had, has different things that you like to do on Christmas morning. And then uh, we throw a church service at 10 a.m. in the mix. And, and so uh, some of y'all uh, some of y'all did your normal deal yesterday. That's, that's a good plan. Uh, some of you raced through kind of your traditions earlier this morning, squeezed them into that tight little space between whatever you got up and whatever you had to actually brush your teeth and walk here, uh, get up here to church. I hope you brushed your teeth before you came to church. Just... You know what, I'm going to stop asking questions. All right, so uh, some of you, though, like my family, are probably waiting until you get home after church to pull the trigger on all those things, to, to hit the go button, uh, which I'm sure you c completely understand how much my kids adored that plan. All right, uh, you should have uh, just heard them on their way out the door this morning. Father, I'm so thankful that we get to wait another four hours to open those boxes. <laughs> I couldn't imagine doing anything else today. They don't know this yet, but I'm going to make them wait till after lunch, too. <laughs> um, so, so we've been walking as a church family through this month of Advent together. We've been intentional to slow down, to take our foot off of the gas, and, and kind of pay better attention, more specific, focused attention on these massive themes of peace and hope and, and, and love. Not, not merely as noble-sounding things, you know, good ideas that the world likes to hold up, postures that would make the world a slightly better place to live in if more people got involved in and thought were important. That's not what we've been aiming at. No, last night, I called them tsunamis rolling out of the seismic event of Jesus' first coming. And um, I know how hyperbolized that language might sound to some people. I really, really do. Um, I, I, come on, what are the, that's a little over the top, right? Tsunamis, you kidding me? But I actually think that that only sounds hyperbole 
to people who have never seriously dealt with those themes on a scriptural level. Um, if you're looking through what we call the lens of biblical theology, it's a way of looking at the Bible and kind of putting all the pieces together. If you're looking through the lens of biblical theology, peace, hope, and love flowing out of the incarnation of Jesus, they're not just noisemakers. And they're not just polite ideas. They forever change the landscape of whatever, whatever they happen to be crashing upon. Nothing can stay the same. In fact, tsunami may actually be an incredible understatement for them. But there are typically four Sundays in an Advent celebration. And so even though it's Christmas Day, this is our fourth Sunday of the effort to walk through this Advent season together. And so that means we have one more tsunami to look at today. Joy. And what a word that is, right? As a vocabulary word, I think probably everybody in here could take a pretty decent stab at trying to define the word joy. Um, but even if you're new to the Bible, new to the church thing, joy is definitely a word, especially in this time of the year, that, that our culture likes to trot out for its own purposes, right? Uh, it, it tries to use it in its own special ways, uh, just like we, we talked about with, with love last week. Uh, the way the Bible seems to use the word joy is different, though. It's not the same at all. It looks a whole lot different than the way it normally gets kind of whipped out in our culture through things like Hallmark movies and Old Navy commercials. Joy is often used in a slightly more weighty version of happiness. Or, in, by my count, just watching TV for about an hour, it's oftentimes used as nothing more than a direct synonym of happiness. But, you know, it just carries a more festive kind of vibe for your holiday season needs. But even those of you without that extensive church background, we, we've all, I think probably, just a lucky guess, have sat under some kind of teaching that said, well, joy is different, right? Joy and happiness are not the same at all. They're sourced differently, and they're shaped differently, and they ultimately point to different things, right? We all kind of get that. And so what is joy then? Where does, it, where does it come from? What happens when it shows up? Can people see it in you and on you when it's present in your life? And, and maybe, does it have an expiration date? I want to spend just a small bit of time this morning trying to throw a biblical answer at those questions. And I've planned our time to be a little shorter than it normally is when we gather together on Sundays, so I'm not going to take very long. Uh, but I, I still think that I can point to something this morning that can maybe help us walk away from here with a, a better sense of joy as an incarnation tsunami. Something that forever affects everything it comes across. So look with me at Psalm 98. Let's do something special today and stand up as we read God's word. Psalm 98, we're going to read the whole thing. It says this. O sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. Verse 3, he has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth in, into joyous song and sing praises. 
Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and with the sound of the melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. The sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for, uh, for joy together before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. All right, you can be seated. All right, so what do we know about the context of Psalm 98? Well, the answer is not much. We, we don't really know anything at all about it. Um, unlike a lot of the other psalms that we've looked at over the, the last few years, as we've tried to you know, be more in, focused on studying the psalms together, uh, there's no superscript here uh, that really spells out a ton of details for us, contextual details. All we get is the incredibly helpful, a psalm. Thank you, Mr. Psalm Writer, that really spelled it out for us, right? It's a psalm, okay? But even without the superscript, that does not mean that we have absolutely nothing to go on. We have some internal clues that we think we can point to to kind of fill out some details for us. And, and this psalm is grouped together with a bunch of other psalms that all have the same subject. God's kingship. So the most likely scenario, if we're getting all the smartest people in a room saying, okay, what's Psalm 98 about? The most likely scenario is that this is a song that was written shortly after God allowed Israel or Judah, wherever it's falling in the timeline, God allowed Israel or Judah to win some kind of military victory that they had no business winning. All of a sudden, they've been blessed with a win that they didn't have coming. Whether God's people were outnumbered or overwhelmed or deserving of punishment for their sin and rebellion against God, whichever issue it happens to be at the time, and they deserved every one of those things at different times in their history, God's people were in a situation where they should have been defeated, where they should have been overwhelmed and undone, and yet God still came through. His right hand, his holy arm, we're told, has worked salvation. And so the psalmist, we, we don't know who it is, though, the, though there is a tradition floating around out there that this is from King David, doesn't say though, but because of the incredible and undeserved victory, the psalmist calls the congregation of God's people to respond in the right and appropriate way. A joy-filled, God-focused explosion of celebration. That's the call. And there's some force to the call. Um, the translators of the ESV, they give verse 1 an exclamation point at the end of the very first sentence. I don't know if you came across that. Here's the deal, though. There's no such thing as punctuation marks in Hebrew. Not in ancient Hebrew. All right? That's a modern thing. All right? The punctuation marks are added for the benefit of us English readers. And so translators always have to do a little bit of interpretation work in these moments. But that does not mean that they're just throwing darts at the board blindfolded. Right, they're not making guesses here. There's excitement and force built into the original Hebrew text. Right? It is incredibly clear that, th that this is an imperative. It is a command being given by the psalm writer. It's time to sing, he says. And it's the kind of command that he has no other option but to pass down. It's a burden on him. Look at the marvelous things that God has done. Are your eyes open to this at all? And so... He has spared his people from ruin. He has brought us salvation. 
On top of that, even the, the Gentile nations around them, uh, those who are outside of the covenant promises of God, uh, they get to see that God is working here. So his, his fame, the fame of God's name and the love for his people is spreading out even beyond his people in this moment. And now, what could we possibly do in this moment but sing? Do we have any other choice here? The psalmist doesn't think so. Time to throw a giant worship party. And what a party it is, man. Strike up the band, he says. Gather all the creatives in one room. Get them to write us a brand new song so we can, we can have a brand new song to sing today. Which I found is not always the best plan for a church. <laughs> They're not always excited about the new song. Sometimes, you just, sometimes the moment deserves a new song. The Lord, our covenant God, deserves to be praised. So let's get to work. The good news of what God has seen fit to do. Listen, it's, it's not, it's not because God, uh, God's people deserved some mighty work from Him. Uh, there wasn't some favor in their back pocket that they were able to call on in this moment. All right, God, I covered your butt last time. Now it's your turn. That's not how their relationship works. It was because of God's covenant faithfulness that they are saved. They had no business being rescued. While God's people had given him every reason and reason and reason after reason to let old promises die away, to say, see, I knew you couldn't live up to your end of the deal. They gave him reason after reason after reason to give him what they actually deserved from his hand. He has instead remembered his covenant faithfulness. And so if you're paying attention to his work at all, the good news of what God has seen fit to do, it creates a scenario in his people where an involuntary, joy-filled explosion of praise is the only right and appropriate response. Anything less would be to miss the mark. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. But I don't know if you noticed this, when we read it a moment ago, um, the call for praise, the call to have everyone was respond with an explosion of celebration, that does not stay limited to the congregation after the victory. It bleeds out from there. And this is the reason, uh, the, our devotional writer mentioned it, this is the reason why Isaac Watts looked at Psalm 98 and decided, man, I need to write a new song. It's time to write a new song. He wrote one of the most massive hymns that's ever been written. Look at verse 4 again. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, comma, all the who? So a couple of weeks ago, uh, we, we looked at the theme of hope in Isaiah 9, right? Um, and so we, we said back then that in the Isaiah 9 list of all the incredible things that the Messiah was going to come and do, uh, that there were a number of things on that list that Jesus hadn't done yet. And so we asked the question, does that mean, does that, mean that Jesus is not who we thought he was going to be? And the answer is no. It's because he's got two phases here in the plan. He's going to come into one part, and he's coming again to do the other part and so that while some of his work is done and make no mistake his first advent was no mere warm-up lap 
But that while some of the work is done, we are still waiting on his second coming for him to finally be all the incredible things that he's been promised to be. And here, reading Psalm 98, I mean, there are a couple of absolutely massive things on the list that are quite obviously bigger than the scope of a single unearned military victory for Israel and or Judah. While the occasion for Psalm 98, but the occasion of this new song is the right response to a smaller example of God saving his people, the psalmist takes a giant step beyond that. In fact, he flies right on past it. He calls the rest of creation to celebrate. Make a joyful noise, he says. Look at verse 7 again. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together. Let heaven and nature sing. Let heaven and nature sing, right? Isaac Watts was leaning on something in that moment. If this is an occasion that calls for clapping rivers and singing hills, we have apparently moved past singular military victory for one people group. We appear to have entered the realm of creation-level victory. And that reality is doubled down upon in verse 9. You may not have caught it, but verse 8 is not the end of a sentence. Um, It keeps going into verse 9, where creation is told precisely why it should respond with an explosion of praise. Look at verse 8 again. Let the rivers clap their hands, let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. So the the writer of Psalm 98, he points beyond his specific moment and beyond his specific uh, victory experience. He points to a coming day with a capital D. He points to a coming day when the Lord will finally and forever step onto the scene as perfect judge. And he will judge the world, the entire world, with perfect righteousness and equity, we're told. And I don't know about you, um, but I find myself wishing that that day, that day would get here a whole lot sooner. Uh, I don't know, you, you with me on that? Have you noticed the world is broken yet? Even on Christmas? I know it's a little harder to kind of see this time of year because we like to wrap the, the broken world up in colored lights and nostalgia. But a whole bunch of us in here are going to be taking down Christmas trees this week. In my house, it might even happen today. <laughs> Get it out of there. Your HOA. We'll make sure that all of your distractions are gone soon. Right? And some of us, and some of us still feel the weight of this broken world, even with all the distractions. There are people in this room who walked in the door today where Christmas is not a good day. But Christmas is a reminder of brokenness, not a distraction from it. Have you noticed the world is broken yet? That it doesn't work like we all instinctively understand that it's supposed to. You ever find yourself wishing that you could hang on just long enough to see the day when the perfectly sinless and impartial judge will make all things right? And I do. And secondly, what do you think is the right and appropriate response when that day gets here? 
What's step two when he shows up? I told you last night about my second favorite line in the known Christmas carol corpus. Uh, <laughs> the soul felt its worth, right? My favorite line comes from joy to the world. Actually, it's the whole stinking third verse. Um, no more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. I long for the day when the curse is over. Outnumbered, overwhelmed, insurmountably deserving of punishment for our sin and rebellion against God. You can't just pick one. We're guilty of them all. We should be defeated. We should be overwhelmed and undone. And yet, His right hand, His holy arm has worked and is working salvation a victory we have no business at all winning our god is coming through on a creation level victory and because of this incredible and undeserved victory the psalmist calls the congregation of god's people to respond in the only right and appropriate way a joy-filled god-focused explosion of celebration our Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. What do we do right now? I mean, that's a great promise, sure. Like, that day's that is, that going to be awesome. But it hasn't been fulfilled yet. That day's not here. What about today? What do we do right now? Well, today we get to rightly respond to his first victory. Make no mistake, it wasn't just a warm-up lap. If you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus, our right response is a joy-filled explosion of praise. In a second, I'm going to pray and we're going to sing another couple of songs because what, like, you got a better plan for today? <laughs> but before we get there, before we get there, the critical question that needs to be answered is this. What have we falsely attributed or scribed more value and celebration to this week than him? As if they actually compare. Maybe presents are worth waiting on. Let's be honest, this is a season that makes it really, really easy to aim for the wrong sources of joy. It's all too easy. Uh, like, are, are we all there? Do we all see that? Not just in our culture, but in our very own hearts. Do we, do we feel the propensity to run the wrong direction this month? I do. So repent this morning. Chase down and root out all the wannabe joy producers today. What better day to set them on the shelf and step away? Turn your eyes instead to the one who's causing tsunamis, even in only phase one of his master plan. But what if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus yet? And I'm glad you, you hung out with us today. I really am. I think it's impressive. Listen, whether someone dragged you to church this morning, or maybe you still got this thing kind of buried deep down inside of you that thinks that religious things are important on days like today, whatever it was that got you in the door, man, I don't think it's an accident. I think God has pulled you into this place so that you can respond to him in this moment. I don't think it's some random thing. I think he's bigger than that. 
I think he's smarter than that. I think he's stronger than that. I think he's drawn you here this morning so that you can respond to his goodness and to his grace. The Bible teaches that because of our sin, that all people are separated relationally from God, that we rebel against him, we claim his rule and his glory for ourselves. Kind of petty about it, actually. And so the truth is that we are all owed the good and righteous and just punishment for sin. The Bible calls it death. But the Bible also teaches, it also teaches that God is rich in mercy and that he loves us with an incredibly great love, that even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, that he makes us alive through Christ. That What we celebrate each year at Christmas is step one of the most wonderful rescue operation the world will ever know. The eternal Son of God, Jesus, he put on flesh and he dwelt among us, Emmanuel. Yes, he came in the form of a baby, absolutely. I'm sure the kid was adorable. Worthy of all kinds of hugs and kisses. But over and over and over and over over again, the Bible is very, very clear. This baby came for a purpose. He came for the purpose of living sinlessly and dying as a sacrifice to make payment for our sin. Jesus was raised again from the dead as a vindication of his perfect and sufficient righteousness. And now, as the king who conquered sin and death, he calls on you to respond to him in this moment in repentance and faith, to turn away from your sin and to turn to him as Savior and Lord. And you can do that today. I'd love to be helpful to you. You can, you can place your trust in King Jesus. Man, what a, what a good day to do it. What a good day to do it. Like, think you got something awesome for Christmas? I know how to beat that. I guarantee you that knowing and walking with a reconciled Jesus is incredibly better, way better than whatever was on your wish list. Knocks them out of the park. Let's talk after we're done, but whoever you are, however God's word is calling you to respond this morning, let me pray and we'll get back to singing. Father, you're good to us. Thank you for the scriptures. Thank you for Psalm 98. Thank you for a psalm that's called on in a moment because of something great you did a long time ago, but looks beyond itself to something that you're still doing. And we long for the day when even the rivers will clap and the hills will sing. What a day that will be. But God, we don't have to wait for that day to be reconciled to you. So would you uh, if there's anyone here this morning who, who, whether they stumbled into church or they felt obligated to come here this morning, or maybe they're just, they just never responded in the way that's good and right and appropriate to what you've done before, would you call people to yourself today? Open eyes to see and ears to hear, hearts to know you. And let us explode out of the gate well. God, would you take our feeble attempts at a good and right celebration. We're, we're, in, we're incomplete. We're insufficient. We don't have enough in the tank to offer you what you actually deserve. But you seem to delight in us giving you what we have. So let us do that well this morning with everything in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.